out of the ice. Listen as one man tries to follow his mind over 200 years. In the year 2030, William White was revived after being frozen in glacial ice for centuries. He is now physically removed from the natural world of his past and often dislocated in his current world of machines and computers. What can he remember about his early life? Whose memory should he believe? And who revived him and why? And what happened to his dog? And who's doing all that talking? Out of the Ice is written and performed by John Spellman. Directed by Phil Stace. Sound design and composition by Garrett and Jacob Unterreiner. Out of the Ice, Part 1. Brain Burps. What? It's, oh, it's me, uh, William. William White, father Ephraim White, mother Nancy Bradford. I was born in June 1777 during the second year of the British War near Murrayfield Village in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. I was rolled out of glacier ice in the year 2030 and I'm now housed at the Institute, a facility. Bones, boots, and bodies, and thousands of pounds of trash have come out of melting ice. Some bodies have been moved or pulled apart by sliding ice. I am minus two toes. And ice mummies continue to rise to the top of receding glaciers. One of them was covered by ice for more than 5,000 years. 5,000 years. His last meal, still in his stomach, was wheat and pieces of dried wild goat. My last meal, <coughs> my last meal before the Institute was blubber, seal blubber. Hmm. A note in my handwriting appears on one of my screens. Beloved wife, Forgive me, Betsy. I've not been able to start a letter your way for many days. I remain entirely safe with only a few minor bruises. Today, I saw a huge silver-tipped brown bear, the largest animals I have ever seen, although I have read about the whale and the elephant. The bear was at the end of what must have been a long fight with two large wildcats, one of whom was dead, the other dispatched as I watched. And then the bear moved unsteadily away, dragging one of his legs. I went the other direction to find my new friends, the native people who will take me to the ice. Oh, Betsy, I missed you most terribly. Tell Abigail how much I cherish her and tell her that Aeneas is fine and misses her, particularly when we are sitting around an outdoor fire. We both will start home after our trip to the ice. Anorak will teach me how to walk on the large ice. Aeneas has four legs and needs no teaching. The three of us will explore what is called a glacier, an enormous sheet of ice, very, very thick. Huh? Tell Abigail a bad joke. 
big sheet of ice. That sounds like bedding for an enormous bear's long winter's nap. Wife and daughter, long dead. I remember more and more of my life before the ice. My first life, I call it. Since coming out of the ice, a simple event like, like waking up or urinating or scratching my head often conjures up vivid images and memories and feelings. Images, journals, letters, notes, voice casts, brain burbles, bibble babble mouth works or sound works, dilly dally, gab gab, words, images, walking, shooting, running, climbing sitting in a fire, tastes, smells, reading, walking, trekking, trekking. Where I sit, part of one wall grows light and dark, but the Institute seems to have no windows. I have not yet seen the outdoors. I need trees and sunlight. They tell me, oh, you must be very careful. They tell me that I'm tender and the outdoor world is harsh, that I must avoid sun damage and diseases borne by deadly insects, noxious air, viruses, bursts of extreme weather, very cold and very hot. James tells me the heat now means there are no more frogs or butterflies or turtles. I'm talking. Probably, but sometimes it seems as if my voice is coming from so deep inside my body, at other times only from the top of my head. And if I'm talking, am I talking to others or to my devices or just to myself? And can anyone else hear me or know what I'm saying? Or am I not even physically talking? I, I hear my voice in my head only? Three lives. Life One, Massachusetts, farm and family, the trekking trips. Life Two, in the ice. Life Three, out of the ice, the Institute. Digity Do, my Australian friend on the staff, says I can soon be a part of what he calls the large mind, the digital mind, reached through the system, but I can still maintain my own small personal mind. Three lives, two minds. Which of my lives am I trying to hold in which mind? And how do I know? And is it really necessary to know? And, and why do so many non-sequiturs and random, random musings, musings, bad jokes and interjections bubble up out of me? Brain burbles. Mind, mind farts. Merriweather told me that his dog had been bitten, been bitten entirely, entirely through the hind leg by a beaver and lost his ability to bark. What, what was, was that, that dog's dog? name? Brain burbles and image bubbles. One image leads to another image. Sometimes they follow in a sequence, a narration, a story. But other times they interrupt each other and flow all around and bounce off each other. 
ascends me into my brain. How easy is a bush, a bear? To my beautiful little daughter, I'm enclosing a sketch I made for you. I hope you can recognize that it is a frog, which when I saw it was just the color of those large frogs we, we used to see and croak at where our creek flows into Westfield River. This frog, of course, has no color and I think a rather badly drawn face, though it did make me smile and want to hold you on my lap so we could croak together. I'll be there. Stay helpful to your mother. I am, as I hope you always remember, your adoring father. Oh, oh, a riddle for you. Riddle. How does a frog feel when he has a sore leg? Well, when a frog has a sore leg, he feels unhappy. Hmm. Walking tenderly, a sheet of ice, very bright sunset, hurts my eyes. Stop to arrange a kerchief over my eyes. Oh, where's Anorak? I no longer see him or hear him in front of me. Behind me is Aeneas woofing and slipping around on the ice, his forelegs still steadier than my two. Sudden, sharp, cracking sound as my right foot drops through thin ice. My left foot reaches out for supporting ice to clear a growing chasm, but both feet are now broken through ice, then legs, then body, hands reaching for stronger ice on each side, flailing hands and arms. I'm falling. We're falling. A muffled bark from Aeneas. We are sliding down an ice tunnel which grows smaller and tighter. My body stops, wedged in ice. Body links above me, I can see there is light. Directly in front of my face there is ice. Aeneas shudders and whines. His breath comes in shallow gasps. My thinking heart is pinching off air to my lungs. Relax, William. Be calm. Breathe. Allow your heart to slow. Breathe more deeply. Hibernate your fear. Hibernate it. You will not die. Mm -hmm. You may never die. I was a boy, a boy fallen into mounds of snow and sudden winter storm between our barn and house. I'm not frightened, only cold and hurt. I see an old lady. She's all gray, like, like in a book. She sits and watches me to try to stay awake, but she disappeared when Father found me. I was lifted up under his coat and his long icy beard held and carried by his large arms and muffling love. Anorak, he's not found us. I call his name again and again. This ice will be my grave. 
on our homestead near Murrayfield, Massachusetts. Before I became a man and then a man of wealth, mother slowly grew ill and tired, looking more and more old and gray. She slept most hours night or day and then did not wake. Fever, her dabbled white, pulled her coffin up to Graveyard Hill. Neighbors and friends had dug a hole and stood around it, silent, sad. Even the crows were quiet. I touched the coffin one last time. Father knelt and said goodbye to her, and we then stood up and threw in all the dirt. Devil! Mama's old deaf dog pawed at the earth and howled to her a miserable farewell. That night I did not sleep, and Devil was awake and whimpering. Finally I put him out the door and then lay in thoughts of Mother up among the bones. I wished she might come back. And then I heard devil yelping and my mother's voice, Ephraim, William, help, it's me. I can't raise the latch. I ran to open the door, but father blocked my way. No, 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 son, mother's dead, she's gone. I heard her sigh, her long, loud sigh of annoyed despair. Ephraim, don't be a fool, I'm not dead. God bless this dog, you let me in. She had awaked, she said, to sounds of loose dirt landing just above her face, had pushed up at the coffin lid and worked one hand up into the air, and devil, devil, she said, had licked her hand and helped her dig her body out. Jesus save us, she said. You must have never nailed the coffin lid. And you didn't fill that grave hole any better than when you closed up the root cellar. I love you both for being so careless. Devil's ashes lived for years above the family hearth. Mother lived through 11 more birthdays. A new woman who in many ways, both funny and forlorn, could never quite adjust to life again her second time. End of part one.